Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Man on Fire is a documentary about a white Texas preacher who self-emulated in his birth town of Grand Saline in order to bring attention to an, the unrepentant racism there. The film uses the act as a vehicle to explore racism in a small town in East Texas and indirectly America as a whole. The film will premiere at the 2018 Slam Dance Film Festival. Wow. Well, thank you, Joel, for allowing me to see it before it premieres at the film festival coming up in uh, Park City in just a couple of weeks. It is a terrific, it's really a remarkable film. And Joel, his uh, roots are in Miami, Austin, New York, uh, has written and produced and directed a number of award-winning uh, narrative and documentary films. And we're very, very fortunate to have with us today, Joel Fennelman. Joel, welcome to Film School. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. It's really a pleasure to be here. You're very welcome. And, um, I can't wait till the whole world gets an opportunity to see this film. It um, it is a very powerful document, and um, I guess where did you? How did you get to meet uh, Mr. Moore? And tell me a little bit about where this all came from. Yeah, sure. Well, interesting that the name of your program is Film School because I made this as a thesis for me getting my master's at Film School at the University of Texas in Austin. Oh. And I was looking for an idea, and pretty much the last year, the three-year program, the last year we have to come up with a film that we're going to work on for that year. And I was looking for something, and I knew I wanted to do a doc. And a friend of a friend connected me with James Chase Sanchez, who was doing his dissertation on this subject matter, more about the rhetoric of racism and memory in the small town he was from. Mm -hmm. So we hooked up, and he's from that town, and... He thought, oh, this could be a good film. I thought it could be a good film. And we kind of just hit it off and started to explore and just said, oh, well, let's go out there and, you know, take one step at a time. And that was it, the beginning of a, a one-year journey of, of shooting and making the film. Yeah. Let, let, let's back up a little bit. Well, that's uh, a great intro to to how you got into the film. But tell me, uh, you know, uh, let's sort of give some context to the film Man on Fire Tell us a little bit about the history of Grand Saline, or tell us about that area, what, however you choose to break it down, and um, just the history and and uh, on on Grand Saline yeah. in the area. Go ahead. So, all right. So, East Texas. This is this is real south, the southern small town, Van Zandt County. You have small thousand person, three thousand people, five hundred people live in these small towns, all connected to each other, and and so this, is, this is another world. When I go there, I'm called a foreigner. So it's, it's real, like, yeah. West cowboy, the farm, you know, that type of thing. And um, so Charles Moore grew up there. He, was, uh, he grew up, I guess, in the, was it the 20s. He was 79 when he, when he died in 2014. And Grand is is sort of like everyone knows it as the racist town. Uh, that sort of has its folklore that goes back to the early early 20th century or and even before 
or even all the towns where everyone was probably racist or was racist at some point, that was the town that had this folklore that they would really do terrible things to black people. Mm -hmm. And it was known as a sundown town, which meant they had signs on each side of the town that, that said, don't let your black ass be caught here after sundown. Yeah. And which I later learned was actually all over the country. But so this town had that history and the preacher who became a, was a lifelong civil rights activist, a white preacher and left the town or in his words, actually was sort of pushed out from, from preaching there because of his views, decided to come back and towards the end of his life, um, was kind of sick of the things that were going on and the lack of acknowledgement of racism in, in that town and really in the whole country. And so, in his words, not repenting for the sins of racism, decided that he was going to self-immolate in that town and leave a note saying, I'm doing this to bring attention to the racism there. And that happened in 2014. Mm-hmm. It, okay, so there, there, there's the context, there is the as you describe uh, Grand Saline, and it's known. By the way, I, the, the one bit, one factoid for our listeners about Grand Saline, that if you've had a, a pretzel in your lifetime, there's a very high probability that you had salt that came from Grand Saline on it. So there you go. So it gives you some idea. Their industry is salt. I mean, I assume yeah, it's more than, than uh, it's more than salt. Like more than yeah, is that's where their big headquarters is. Oh, I, okay. I want to just compliment you on the on the film sort of filmmaking. Let's get into that a little bit. I do want to talk more about the story itself, but one of the mm-hmm. things that makes Man on Fire such an appealing watch is, uh, first of all, you there's there's no you don't you're not hurt. It's all a point of view. It's all people speaking into the camera about their experiences. The pace of the film is very deliberative, almost meditative in the way that you let this story unfold. Um, I have a feeling just based on watching these people in the interviews and and that you yourself are a very calm, calming influence in, as, as not only as a filmmaker but also as an interviewer because everyone speaks very honestly and directly in ways that I never felt like anyone was, was forcing a point, a point of view. It was a very matter-of-fact conversational approach to to their to the interviews and it comes across in this film and and i think over time watching the film it helps build power into the film it it, it gives it, it its own power not, not nothing that you uh, that i felt i was being uh, that was being pushed in any way mm. and uh, i just i just as someone who watches a lot of documentary films i really Truly, uh, uh, first of all, enjoy the film, but also appreciate the kind of uh, the the uh, leap of faith that you had to be taking in making this film because it it has an inherent power in the conversations that are that we hear throughout the film that gives this man of fire such a just such a a, a push such a, uh, mm-hmm. a yeah. So I I. It, help me if I'm describing your approach to filmmaking, if it's different than, than how it comes across in the film, or a little bit about your sort of your process of making the film. Yeah, I, I would say I'm a calm person. I would say I'm pretty okay. zen, and, and I, I, you know, I meditate, I have all that practice, but I also do like to bring that philosophy into, into filmmaking, where I think the process of filmmaking for me is, 
is just as important, or probably even more important than the result. Yeah. So I always try to approach it that, okay, we're going to show up here in this moment right now and interviewing this person. It's not about trying to get anything. We're not, even though that's always looming in the background of the head, yeah. but we're just trying to have a connection with this person. And we just want to have a genuine experience together in this moment that we're all like really being real with each other and present with each other. And the result will come from that. And if we have a very positive experience and where it's narrative or doc in the scene, then we'll have, I know we'll have a good result. We just have to trust the result will come if we're staying present. Yeah. So that's sort of one thing as far as my approach generally. The second thing is for this documentary particularly, Chase, who's from the town, I had him do the interviews. And I, I did the camera work, and I was that day at the camera, and we talked about the interviews and the questions and everything beforehand, afterhand. It was very much a process, a collaborative process. But he, he led the interviews. He was there. He was the point person. And I think it is important because he's from that town, and there was a reference point for a lot of people that they could then probably – it probably could be a lot harder for me to break through some certain trust right. boundaries where he's there to get already. The, to get them to open up the way they do, because that's the thing. I, I, that's the reason I brought this up. I wanted to talk about this because they open up and, and they say things that are subtly they they subtly tip their yeah. tip their point of view so many times in this film. It's just it's quite remarkable, actually. It's one of the strengths of the film is just how honest these people are. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is that so? You had yeah, somebody absolutely. from the team. Yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think they really. It, it, it's interesting you mentioned like suddenly because yeah, people's point of view really is get does get tipped without. It's like what they don't say. A lot of things are shared. Right. Oh, absolutely. But there's a couple of tells, and I don't want to give too much away in the, in, in, because I want people to see this and uh, and to appreciate it. But there's a there's just so many sort of phrases that are used by people in the town of Grand Saline that you interview, uh, that are interviewed, I should say, in the film. But one is the blacks. Whenever I hear someone refer to African Americans as the blacks, and our president has done that quite often, but uh, it seems to, it's always seems to be a tell. And uh, anyway, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent. Right, this is my point of view. This is my perspective. But I guess what I'm trying, what I really where where I'm going with this is I appreciate the um, the the trust factor that comes across in the film. And uh, I don't want to belittle these people to the extent that they're characters, because I believe that they believe everything that they say in the film, and they have. A perspective, and that's what we're, the film is about: institutional, historic perspectives on on African Americans, and and uh, I, I just it, it's it's a very telling part of the film. That yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and I agree. It's like cause I, it was a journey for myself as well. I mean, I'm a white male who's. I think I, I mean I think we all have levels of racism in us. As I interviewed one preacher, I actually hit this line, didn't get into the film, but he said, you know, we're all recovering racists. Yeah. And this is a time, and these towns are like throwbacks to the 1950s, and that's how they're speaking about things, and yeah, they're not, I don't think they're intentionally trying to be racist. No, no, no one would think that they're racist, right. but 
it that's the feel like oh wow this person is thinking that and if you put anyone on a spotlight in the camera they're probably going to say something that's very insensitive and we could micro pick them and tear them apart right. so i'm very appreciative of people in the film sharing and you know maybe coming off not the best in certain lights but first we just got to like acknowledge that's where we're at and yes. that's where some people are and I'm sure I was a certain, you know, even before making this film, my uh, ways of talking and speaking have been a little more lightened, and it's just a process we all got to go through. And if there's anything I'd love for the film to kind of speak to and the message to come across is we got to first go there before we can move on. And I think it's the last line in the film. Someone says, we got to, like, we got we to deal with this before we can actually move on to it. Right. I mean, move past this. And people are trying to move past it if we haven't dealt with Right. And and by the way, that's that is perspective that you just that the, we, we they just move past it as if it never happened or never or it couldn't have happened or whatever. A lot of people in the film are that way. And you're absolutely right. I could not agree more with you. Let us just face it down. Let's uh, let's name it. Let's identify it. Let's acknowledge it. And and then from there we can move on. One of the things about Men on Fire is that these are all. Easily relatable people. That's one of the things that... And again, I appreciate you didn't turn them into characters. Let's talk a little bit about uh, um, Reverend Charles Moore and his journey in in terms of mm-hmm. how he came to the point in the film where he made this, this very... An, an, an incredibly traumatic decision. Incredibly... I, I don't know... I, I don't know how anyone would do what he did without being completely committed to a uh, perspective but talk a little bit about the reverend charles moore charles i mean when i first learned about charles moore that's what initially hooked me into wanting to explore further about the film that question how could how could someone who's do make such a sacrifice such a painful sacrifice for something he believes in and that causes me to reflect in myself what have I sacrificed for recently? So anywhere, nothing near what he's done. And he's like, well, I could do a lot more. And this guy did all this for a community that wasn't his. And it just kind of goes on and on. You start to dive into that. And then it gets a lot more complicated about, okay, well, a lot of times the first things a lot of people will say, will say, well, he must've been kind of crazy. And you start to question that and explore that. Well, was he all there? Was he depressed? All these things. And I mean, he was just a fascinating man. And, and yeah, maybe he did have, maybe he was sad or down or depressed, but he was also a highly, a highly sophisticated individual who spent his life as a civil rights activist, giving his, his energy, his time, living in India, living in Chicago. I mean, he was, he was the real thing. And he was very inspired by the Buddhist monks and uh, Sikwan Duke, who was, who was that, uh, the monk in Vietnam who yeah. set himself on fire in that famous photograph in the 60s, yeah. which sparked a lot of, uh, um, I guess, acts against, against the Vietnam War. And so he left that photo on his desk in, in his, I guess you call it his, his folder, his suicide folder, per se, and... Um, so he was very inspired by the act of self-immolation by the, the monks and the Tibetan monks and all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just, a couple of years ago, just 
I, you know, I guess, you know, it, it's, so much, it's so complex, I couldn't whittle it down to one thing, but right. you decide to make that choice, and right. here we are today. And no one knows about it, that's the thing. That, that, you say the story, someone made this act, and it's like unheard of. Yeah. I, I, it seems like I heard just, uh, you know, the five-second blurb somewhere on a, on a news program somewhere about it, but that, that was it. Um, before we go any further, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Joel Fennelman. He is the director of a film called Man on Fire, and it, it, I have that right. It's premiering at Slamdance coming up in a couple yeah. of weeks, um, and um, I assume you're going to be in Park City for this? I am. I am. Fantastic. Anybody in the in the town of Grand Saline seen the film yet? Is has anyone who's who's seen the film? You know that would be, would have been in it or sort of would would have a, a reaction to to the film. We've shown it to a number of family members, friends. We had a screening, a school screening in Austin, and a lot of people we filmed are based in Austin, so a number of that sort of. Contingency came out, and and they, they were pretty uh, supportive and appreciative of it, and sort of gave their blessing to the film. We haven't shown it in Grand Saline yet, and we are planning to do a screening. I think uh, I'm not sure, maybe in the fall, mm-hmm. yeah, t- TBD, but and uh, in some of the surrounding towns, maybe one in Grand Saline, one in Tyler, which is the big town about an hour away. So we're definitely looking forward to that. I, I, I hope. I mean. It could be contentious. It could be. We hope not. We hope it could be a very uh, fruitful experience for everyone to come and have this conversation. And it's really one of the the reasons we made the film is to have that conversation and and to jump into it. And as we talked about Charles Moore uh, not having the publicity of this event that he might have liked to have had to what maybe we think should have had for it, Mm -hmm. makes it kind of interesting is the film... It lives on. You know, if, if we talk about acts of self-revelation, acts of sacrifice, if the value of them is determined by the results, well, the results for his act are actually, I think because of the film, sort of in process. You know, the more the publicity this gets, the more we actually can give acknowledgement to this act that may have further results right. down the road. Right. And, you know, and I'm just speculating, obviously, but I, I think that, from the people who live in Grand Saline and those surrounding communities, when they see the film, I think they're going to be absolutely fine with it. And I, I think because everyone is given a, a fair hearing, a fair opportunity, I, I, as much as I heard sort of my own version of dog whistles when when I was listening or when I was watching the film, so will they. Mm-hmm. I think I think you know I think this is somewhat a, um, a comment on the world we live in today where. Our our ecosystem of information is sort of a self-contained, um, doesn't mm. venture far our, far beyond its its own uh, limitations, and so for those people, the owner of the uh, the museum and uh, what was it pharmacy and museum, um, mm-hmm. the guys playing old uh, city pharmacy pharmacy in Grand Saline. Yeah, those people will will be fine. Be I hope they are because I think they you present them. In a way that is not judgmental, in my opinion, I didn't think I was. I didn't feel at all ever watching Man on Fire that I was being tilted in one direction or another. Right. And um, I just, again, it is a. I think it's a function of our our, our uh, very 
cloistered sort of media landscape now that we we tend to take away from things like this what we want to take away from them however having said that it's hard not to come to grips with racism and what racism has done and continues to do to our society whether whatever your perspective where you don't believe it exists anymore or never did or whatever i don't think you can watch this film and not at least have to come to some kind of reckoning as to what the impact of racism has had and continues to have on us and i think yeah. and i think that's yeah. a, a real testament to the filmmaking um and 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 your approach and and how you handled it i i just it's a beautiful film to look at it's really uh, um i'm so looking forward to the reaction um for from slam dance and uh and beyond i can't wait to see, see this in 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 uh out in the world beyond uh beyond the festival circuit so has you have you played this at any other festivals yeah this will be i mean it was at the ida where we met but the, yeah. the first time it'll be screening will be in uh, Park City next month. So well, it'll be pretty exciting. If you have a couple more minutes, let's talk a little bit about IDA because I uh, I, I was just at where we met at the their annual kind of gathering to present. I wouldn't even call it an award show. It's just sort of a, a, an opportunity to celebrate uh, in documentary filmmaking. Um, they seem to be a very supportive outfit for, for filmmakers, uh, especially documentary filmmakers. And I've been, you know, been to film festivals. I've been around you know, filmmakers in, in, a, in a group before, but I don't think I've ever had an experience where I felt more kind of at home and more sort of welcomed and, you know, people come, were coming up to me just talking about their projects in ways that I've, I've never experienced before in that sort of a setting. So uh, I, I, that speaks well of the organization. It speaks well of, of, you know, what they do. Is that, am I being, is that an honest assessment? It's, I mean, it was, Truthfully, I was not very aware of IDA before I submitted to it. And uh, my professor said, hey, you should submit to this. It's the deadline's a couple days. I said, okay, great. I looked it up. I said, oh, it looks like a really great thing. And then I started tell- asking people about it. I'm like, oh, IDA is very prestigious. It's out there. They're, very, they're a wonderful organization. And that could be more true, my experience throughout, I mean, which is just pretty much working with them, going to the award ceremony, which was beautiful ceremony at the yeah. Paramount Studios. That was nice. And, and for us doc filmmakers, we're used to not, you know, there's not much, I guess, uh, posh things happening. So when you walk into Paramount Studios and everything is lit up and they got yeah. the whole nine yards, it's, it was pretty nice. It was pretty nice. But yet you have a group of people there, like you said, that are down to earth, that are yeah. happy to be there and happy to be acknowledged and it was just a great thing all, all across the board. Yeah, I, I really was taken by that experience, and and um, and I will say that as as a whole, you know, sort of documentary filmmakers are are sort of the scruffy end of the uh, <laughs> film uh, film spectrum. Considered kind of, you know, I often wonder if people think of documentary filmmakers as "quote unquote" real filmmakers. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm that I'm exaggerating for the for for dramatic effect here, but it, there is something a little bit something about oh you're a documentary filmmaker oh okay but uh, I but I it's uh, I have this is my favorite genre of film I I I, I can't even tell you how in, enriching it's been to be able to uh, 
you know, experience film, documentary films, as well as an opportunity to talk to the, the filmmakers themselves because there is such joy in what they do. I mean, I'm sure there's travails as well, as I'm sure you've been through making this film, but it's it's just if more than almost any filmmaker following your bliss is the, the essence the, of a documentary filmmaker uh, following this kind of hunch on, at, at times and and seeing it to its uh, end is is a, a, a real testament to uh, to people who do this thing. Yeah, you've got to show up and then the script you write later. And that's, <laughs> you flip it. And it's kind of interesting in that way. And there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of just yeah. uh, vulnerability in that. Yeah, there is. And and I think that unites us. And it's great to see documentary filmmakers who are, who are now, uh, who have gotten into also narrative and are doing well as well in that. And uh, it's just to see, because good filmmaking is just good filmmaking. It doesn't really matter where it, where it happens, what, what sort of uh, format it happens in. In some way, documentary is a little more even uh, creative freedom in, in form, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you're starting to see that. Oh, Where there's recreations and, or, I mean, that, which is, you could be so broad with that, what that means, but it's, it's pretty cool. It is, and I just before we we got on the air, uh, I was uh, doing a little bit of a rant on Errol Morris and Wormwood, and I understand. Yeah. I understand. I mean, I don't think he, he's he has gotten nominated. I don't think in terms of awards. I don't think he's been um, uh, recognized almost anything this year, and I understand the controversy. He made a narrative film as well as a, a documentary film, and I understand. But with his history and and all the rest of it, it just feels like. There is something um, endemic about the about the resistance to certain filmmakers pushing that envelope too much, and uh, um, but I I rarely see a documentary anymore that doesn't have some form of a reenactment, some some small part of telling mm-hmm. the story that that is uh, it, that where that happens. And I don't feel cheated, or I don't feel deceived, or whatever. You, you as someone who watches a lot of films, you can you can. You can fess out that stuff pretty quickly if it's if it feels it doesn't feel right. Yeah, and uh, interesting you mentioned Errol Morris because I was so inspired by him in before making this film. Like I was at school, I read all his books, I and mean, I knew about about him for years. But I was like, ah, I really want to get to know about him more. So I read a number of books on him, watched all his films a couple times, and uh, so it was definitely inspiration in the interview process, in some of the framing, in the reenactments, and really studying. His aesthetic, um, Sin Blue Line, Fog of War. Uh, yeah. What was the one he did down in Florida? Uh, was it Pet Cemetery or uh, no? Um, Maybe it's Pet Cemetery, and there's one other one I think as well. Uh, and it's all about just giving the space for someone to kind of be themselves because he has these long interviews. Uh-huh. And if you kind of let them just kind of just give the space, people will kind of show the beautiful quirks and characteristics that. Makes him interesting. Well, he did one recently about the photographer, uh, Elisa. I can't think. I can't. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm not going to try it because I'll butcher it. But which was interesting. Called yeah. B sides. It was about a, a photographer he'd known for years who who took pictures, full big format pictures, and just started her aesthetic. And again, you're you're right. He's someone as a, as an artist who, uh, and is as well as true in Man on Fire, allows people to reveal themselves, has the patience and the understanding of human nature and the ability as someone who can draw them out. And, and it's, it is just, it's so rel- relevatory and so, 
enlightening about the human condition, about the all the different variations of what people believe and don't believe and why and how. And But uh, Errol, uh, Wormwood is just an amazing film. Films. <laughs> it's actually too <laughs> So, uh, uh, yes, it... I, I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for the film Man on Fire and, and uh, what a terrific piece of work it is. And I'm thrilled to see you uh, be in Park City uh, to soak up all of that crazy uh, and, uh, and, and, and see your film up on the big screen in front of a bunch of people. This is absolutely true about Slamdance, who are as, as much of a film audience as you, you know, in terms of their enthusiasm and embracing good film as you'll find anywhere. So... Uh, all the best to you in a couple of weeks up there in Park City and moving forward into 2018 with your film Man on Fire. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. As well. The, the filmmaker is Joel Fendelman, and the, and the film is Man on Fire. If people want to find out more about you, uh, what, what would you suggest they do in terms of finding out about Man on Fire? I know you have a website. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the website, manonfirefilm.com. My Man Fire Film, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're, we're kind of pushing all levels there. Great. We're actually starting, uh, we're doing a hashtag, MyTown2, and we want to create a community, a movement where people can share stories from their own town, whether it's they've dealt with racism or they saw racism or different levels like that. So oh, that's on our Facebook and our Twitter where people can share those type of things. I don't want to muddy up your message, but also you have a Joel Fendelman and I have a joelfendelman.com, which is my website that has, you can see all about my films, my past films, yeah. and uh, things like that. Terrific work, terrific film, and uh, congratulations. And uh, I'm sure you'll have other projects, so when you do, please uh, please think of us uh, here back here at Film School. Really uh, love to have you back on, Joel. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Film School. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.